Welcome to the Arrogance of Infinity podcast. Tales of transition from the industrial to technology age. Wisconsin is a great place to take road trips. My best guess is that I've been there a couple hundred times. One trip, however, was my favorite. This is the tale, May Day. U.S. Highway 12 is the vintage road between St. Paul, Minnesota and Madison, Wisconsin. I-94 is the quicker, more modern route. One Tuesday morning in 2002, I, the road less traveled, took. I was on a down-and-back sales call, about a 10-hour day, so it didn't make much sense to add time. But I prefer glimpses at the pass from old trunk highways. Plus... An early morning drive into western Wisconsin presents a marvelous sunrise vista that crowns miniature mountains of limestone that were cut by a million years of rivers, taking the paths of least resistance to the Mississippi. About a half hour from my destination, at the intersection of Highway 12 and Kickapoo Road, I passed a two-story building, white clappered siding trimmed in black, that stood by itself and invited passers-by with its charm. The front of the building doesn't have a sign per se, just a wonderful throwback logo above the front porch that looked like it was taken from a baseball jersey. It featured the word Missouri in cursive writing, underlined by a wide tail off of the eye encasing the word tavern. As a guy with a Missouri gal for a wife, a grandfather from the show-me state, and a pension for holes in the wall, I knew I'd be stopping on my return, and I did. The Missouri Tavern was in decent shape, but a bit rough around the edges. There wasn't a car in the lot. I thought it might be out of business closed, but soon discovered elsewise. Alice's looking glass had nothing on that screen door as it slapped shut behind me, and I entered an otherworldly space. It looked like somebody's 1960s living room that happened to have a pool table. There was an old-timey sofa, comfy chairs, coffee tables, a wood-burning stove to the left, and an upright piano to the right of a well-seasoned mahogany bar about 30 feet long. There wasn't a soul in the joint, and I wasn't sure if it was open for business or a static display. But I hopefully nestled up to the bar for what would turn into one of the most sanguine experiences of my life. Floorboards creaked as the bartender approached. Must live upstairs, I thought, and was right. I was already forming an image of the grizzled veteran bartender with a pot belly stressing the buttons on a flannel shirt. The only part I got right was veteran. Through the door stepped May Mefford, a 97-year-old white-haired woman who would have blended into a photo with my aunts Alice, Lena, and Helen down on the farm. May and her husband Al opened the tavern, gas station, and general store in 1940. Al passed in 64, and May never got around to leaving. Good afternoon, young man, 
she said. I was 41 at the time. Most of us have a special regard for near centenarians. May's aura far exceeded the norm and was palpable. I recalled a line from my favorite John Milton sonnet. Love, sweetness, goodness, in her person shined. And it did in May. Along with a lingering hint of melancholy left over from the difficult years. I had an instant yet quizzical admiration for her. How on earth did she get to this place? May wondered the same of me as she served me a long neck Miller High Life. I had shared my Missouri ties and asked if I should be drinking St. Louis's Budweiser or the official beverage of Wisconsin. Well, she said, I'm from South Dakota, been here since the late 30s, and I don't drink. High life it is, I replied, then followed with the obvious question. So how does this place come to be named for Missouri? She told me of her husband, Missouri Al Mefford, being from St. Louis, then seamlessly flowed into life reflections of good times, hard times, and how in the end, they all come together as one. The World War years started within months of their opening. Sacrifice was the norm, and the rationing of gas, metal, meat, and sugar was everywhere, as was bootlegging. Everyone knew a casualty, and everyone was scared in some way. But the war brought the everyones together. In 63, when John Kennedy was assassinated, people started to change. When Al passed in 64, May had to change. And by 1968, the whole country was changed, including the way people drove from Milwaukee, Chicago, and Madison to the Twin Cities, the Mayo, or the Black Hills. The interstate highway had arrived in Dane County, Wisconsin, and almost erased the corner of Highway 12 and Kickapoo Road. Little did May know that her world of horse and buggy then horseless carriage would evolve to become her bread and butter, then the bane of her existence. Little did she know that she would watch humanity touch the moon and the handwritten word become a novelty, that she would see Morse code in the telephone party line give way to one little gizmo that could talk to outer space, all in one lifetime. May with Jesus by her side, worked through it all. The scrubbing, stitching, baking, and slinging beers blended into a recipe for a well-lived and fully earned life. To this day, I wish I'd been taking notes, and it crossed my mind at one point to go out to the truck for a pen and paper. But I decided better to leave the spontaneity alone to take in the experience as a befriended traveler rather than feature writer, to live the moment like some trapper who happened to hit it off with Pig's Eye Perrant back when his trading post was the only white man's joint in what is now St. Paul.
The lack of written notes couldn't detract from the soft grit and ageless wisdom of this extraordinary woman who would seem completely out of place at any other bar in the world but define the character of this one. Great old piano, I said at one point in the conversation. Does it get any use? All the time, she smiled. I'll play you a tune. I noted the no profanity sign above the bar and fully sensed she meant it. Oh gosh, I said, that would be great. May was locally famous for closing early if patrons got vulgar and praised for times when she played hymns on the piano over those who were cussing. To take them to a higher place, she'd say. What do you like, May asked. Well, I'm kind of a Mozart guy, I said with more hope than pretension. By this time, there was nothing about May that would have surprised me. She had captured my heart as one who is about as close as you could get to being a living, breathing illustration of God's intended human condition. Let's see what we can do, she said, after taking a seat. She didn't play Mozart. We had talked about the importance of faith and family, and I may be inventing memories, but I swear she intuitively knew a couple of my favorite hymns. She wanted to keep playing. What else? I racked my brain, but was buried by a billion options. Then it struck me, and I asked an obvious revelation. Hey, what was that Harry Truman tune that he made famous? I think he played it on the newsreels. The Missouri Walls? Oh, of course. What a glorious moment in time, I thought as I listened. The live music, delivered with sweet joy, was an unexpected pleasure within an unexpected pleasure. After only two beers, I felt inebriated. I was thankful for the unique and wonderful gift of a private audience with one of God's most sincere works of art. I thanked him again for keeping it private. If another patron had walked in, the atmosphere would have burst like a cartoon bubble and drifted away in little white puffs. May told me of how she taught herself to play during a spell when a loved one, her sister, I think, had an extended illness. I assumed this was when she was a young woman, and Al bought her a piano to honor a long-time love of music. Not so. I don't recall the year, but she was old enough to receive retirement checks at the time. You're never too old, she said. I had quite a bit on my mind, and the piano helped out. We covered a lot of territory in two and a half hours. She was as good a listener as she was storyteller. She asked thoughtful questions, made the experience a mutual discovery, and seemed to absorb as much as she shared. Her spirit remains with me now, more than 17 years after our chance, one-time meeting. When it was finally time to leave, May came around the bar and gave me a hug. 
I had recently lost a grandmother who half raised me, and the closest tie to my mother, Auntie Sis, within a week of each other. Leaving May had a familiar feel. As I slowly strode across the wood plank floor with my back to the bar, she slid over to the piano and bade me farewell with one more round of the Missouri Waltz from a dusty old piano in an unlikely tavern alongside the road less traveled. Author's note, May passed in November of 2005 after 101 years of fine-tuning a soul. The owners of the tavern still honor her with a fundraiser for a local scholarship and an annual event, Mayfest, held each fall.